It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, it's Wednesday, which, of course, means uh, it's Armchair Politics Day coming up in about an hour. Former high-ranking government official in two presidential administrations, Mark Everson, will be joining our roundtable regulars. Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national headlines in the world of politics and current events, and I hope you'll be here for that. Um, today is Wednesday, which means armchair politics coming up in an hour, two hours, and so on. Uh, but tomorrow is uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and we're going to talk with um, the editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She is also a uh, professor of history and a professor of Judaic studies at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. She's been on the show before talking about the Posen Library. But she is um, really an expert on... uh, Jewish culture and civilization and history, uh, because uh, largely because of her uh, her studies, but her work in the Posen Library, <clears throat> and we'll talk about Holocaust Remembrance Day and uh, the Posen Library and and more with um, appropriately Deborah Dashmore, who will be joining me by phone coming up in in just about a minute or so, and. Uh, Let's see, we've got lots of interesting stuff uh, coming up in armchair politics, plus our um, a, a few interesting quotes, and uh, uh, my favorite part, the, uh, the X-Files, and there are a couple of good ones on there today. But uh, we will have Mark Everson joining our roundtable regulars, so I hope you'll stick around for that. And uh, let's see, what else can I share with you in the remaining 30 seconds. I, I guess just stay tuned and, and uh, enjoy this conversation with uh, Deborah Dashmore because she, she'd been on the show before and, and it's great to have her back. So stand by and uh, we'll have my conversation with Deborah Dashmore coming up in three, two, one. And 
And welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour has been on the show before to talk about her role as editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She is uh, also a professor of history and Judaic studies at the University of Michigan, and we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, which uh, is coming up tomorrow um anyway uh deborah dashmore joins me by phone hi deborah welcome back it's good to talk to you again it's really nice to be back thanks tom um how long has holocaust remembrance day been around well uh it was a day that was chosen by the european um uh, union, uh, so it hasn't been around um, that long. Uh, I mean, it's decades, uh, clearly. Um, people have a different sense of time. Uh, it, uh, it was chosen because uh, this was the day that the uh, Soviet forces uh, liberated Auschwitz in January of 45. As the war is, is finally winding down, and uh, Auschwitz came to stand in uh, for all of the concentration camps, for for all of the death camps. Uh, it was huge, and it included both labor as well as uh, just murder facilities. Uh, and this seemed by the Europeans to be the, the best day to, to be uh, observing uh, the Holocaust, the Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's not the same day as um, uh, Israelis and, and Jews uh, observe. Um, they chose a date um, based on the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which had taken place in 1943 in April. In fact, just the, at the very beginning of the Passover holiday, on the eve of the Passover holiday. And so for Jews, uh, that made a more powerful connection because the holiday of Passover celebrates the exodus out of Egypt. And so you're celebrating liberation um, and even though the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising obviously was uh, did not mark the end of the Holocaust by any means, it went on for well over another year and a half of of murder of, of European Jews. But it it was a very visible uh, example of Jews um, uh, with limited arms fighting back against uh, the Germans. How, um, boy, there are so many things that I want to ask you, Deborah. My mind is just <laughs> swirling. Um, but, but let's talk about Holocaust awareness. Um, when we, when we think of Holocaust remembrance, um, there's, as you and I have discussed, uh, briefly before, there are people who, have tried to rewrite history as if uh, the concentration camps didn't really happen. How is it, how important is it to have a day like Holocaust Remembrance Day simply for awareness? 
I think it's very important for awareness. Um, and so in that sense, um, whether you pick a date based on the liberation of Auschwitz or a date based on the, the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, um, in, in that sense, it doesn't matter. Uh, people who are called, they're called Holocaust deniers, um, uh, falsify history and they, they falsify history, uh, because they want to glorify, um, uh, the murder of millions of Jews. Um, and, uh, they, that is to say, by denying that it happened, they want to, um, make the anti-Semitism that was behind that murder, that fueled those um, murders uh, seem um, not very important, right? Um, one of the things we recognize with Holocaust remembrance is what hatred um, and anti-Semitism can produce. Uh, and that's really crucial uh, to remember that. You know, Auschwitz and a couple of uh, other camps are fairly well known, but how many camps were there in all? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. Um, there are tons. <laughs> and, and I'm not um, trying to put you on the spot, doesn't. I just thought that yeah, was a number yeah. you might know. I, I don't know the actual number. Uh, I do know that if you look at a map um, of uh, Germany, Poland, you know, Eastern Europe uh, that has the camps, it's just stunning the the numbers they they just dot the the map all, all over the place uh so there were many many camps of various kinds right because there were concentration camps that were uh slave labor camps um there were a smaller number of concentration camps that just murdered people um like Treblinka or Sobibor uh there were concentration camps that had just female population. Um, it, it, was, it, it was an extraordinary, complex, massive network of um, exploitation and death. When the Russians um, pulled into Auschwitz and liberated that camp, did, was that the mission they were on, or did they discover it on their way to somewhere else? Uh, it, it was the second one, Tom. They discovered it on the way to somewhere else, and that was generally true for most of, of the uh, military liberation of the, of the camps. I, I wrote a, a book on um, the experiences of Jewish GIs in, in World War II, and, you know, the ones who liberated the camps all said, you know, the first thing we we sensed was something wrong was the smell. It was the smell mm. of the stench of death. Yeah. And it was powerful around, you know, for, for miles around. And as they would get close and they're trying to figure out what, what, where are they, you know, going? What, what, what are they going to, to see? So uh, these were not military targets, no. And... The issue of who knew what and when is one that's historically been treated uh, maybe a little more delicately than it should have. How is it possible that that many camps 
were unknown um, either to the the people who lived near those camps, uh, the German <laughs> people in Germany, but but even to the Allied forces and their intelligence gathering uh, units. So that's a complex question. These camps were known to the people who lived nearby. The, the, they knew about them. You couldn't not. Just uh, just the smell, as I'm saying. You know, the, 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 the whole area stank from, from these camps. Um, the issue about the Allies, they knew about the camps. Um, there were... Hitler was pursuing two wars, one a war against the Jews and the other a war of conquest of Europe. And the Allies fighting back were fighting uh, the second war, that is, they were fighting Hitler's conquest of Europe. Um, That was the war they were pursuing. They were not fighting against Hitler's war uh, against the Jews. And that, I think, is what makes it complicated, um, so that uh, although the Germans were, were willing to um, take valuable um, uh, military supplies, like trains and stuff, and divert them in order to, to murder Jews, right, to put Jews into them, rather than using them for troop movements and stuff to, to fight that war against um, other Europeans, the the uh, against the Russians, and um, and later after D-Day against uh, Allied troops in Europe, um, Americans and Brits. Uh, the Americans, the Allies, and Brits were not willing um, to let's say divert uh, airplanes that were were flying um, right by Auschwitz. To, to drop bombs uh, either on the camp or on the rail facilities um, uh, heading up there. Um, you know, recently uh, a colleague of mine wrote a, a really lovely piece in commemoration of one of the um, uh, flyers, uh, African-American flyers of the Tuskegee um, Air yeah. uh, Group. Yeah, and um, they flew uh, defensively, right, uh, to protect the the bombers uh, right by Auschwitz. Um, And had it been decided that it was going to be a a, a target, that one one should drop some bombs there to let... um, uh, to to send a message, as it were, um, to the... the, uh, Germans, uh, they could have done it. Um, Elie Wiesel, who I think you, you know, you well-known figure, survivor of Auschwitz, uh, recalls in his memoir what the bombings of camps that were, were uh, well, really um, supply places that were nearby uh, Auschwitz when that happened and how excited they were to, to know that the... Um, the Allies had planes and were were bombing. Yeah. More about Holocaust Remembrance Day 
with Deborah Dash Moore from the University of Michigan and the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization is straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. 
Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about Holocaust Remembrance Day with Deborah Dash Moore from the University of Michigan and the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization is straight ahead. Deborah, um, this is actually kind of a two-part question. Um, the, the, the first part is, why is it important to remember the Holocaust, and then, and then, part two is um, if if the answer to part one is to learn from the horrors of the past, um, how is it that it seems that in today's political climate we haven't learned from the horrors of the past? Oh gosh! Um, so you're right. the The answer is to learn from the horrors of the past uh, so that we don't repeat them, right? Um, And one of the things that the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization does is it offers um, people access, uh, especially in the the online version, which you can um, register for free and and you have access to these incredible pieces of of writing, of reflection, of art, of resistance um, that Jews produced uh, during the war and uh, after the war, uh, survivors produced uh, as means of uh, holding on to the memory and also as a means of trying to learn from what the experience was. Um, so that it wouldn't happen again. Um, Among the things that you discover in the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization is this belief that there's a conscience of the world. And I think that um, while Jews held on to this belief, they were later sorely um, uh, disappointed that there didn't really seem to be a conscience of the world, right, that, that would m- motivate um, governments to try to rescue people. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, is still true. Um, there, we don't have a conscience uh, of the world, and um, the horrors of the past um, keep on recurring in part because of this lack of, of commitment to um, decency and humanity uh, instead of uh, a lust for, for power and an embrace of hatred. You know, you mentioned the Tuskegee Airmen, and I had a couple of uh, Tuskegee Airmen on my show over the last few years, but... There are few, if any, left now, and yes, that's that's, right. that's true of um, 
survivors of the camps and and really uh, uh, veterans who served in the in the units that liberated camps around Germany and and surrounding countries. Um, as we lose people that had a direct connection, is it harder now to uh, keep that that memory uh, intact and and recorded? Well, I think we've been very fortunate to have recordings, that is, interviews with many survivors. So we do have documentation uh, that way, and um, it's a mediated experience, but it is an experience that lets you um, hear the voices and learn directly from uh, survivors. But you're absolutely right, whether it's World War II uh, vets um, or uh, Holocaust survivors, uh, there are very few of them, and, and uh, you know, more and more of them are Well, as are time marches on, as time yeah. marches on, of course, you know, they're, they're becoming old and, and passing away, and, and we're losing yeah. that direct connection. That's correct. We are. Um, but we, we do have um, recorded interviews. We do have uh, writings. Um, the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization has some amazing uh, writings by, by survivors uh, that are, are poetry and, and uh, religious thought and just beautiful stuff. And so that, I think, is what it's going to be available to people um, as as we move forward. Deborah, I, I have to ask just just for listeners who maybe didn't hear us talk before when when we were focused on the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. Um, it I think when you were on the show before you had just um, released or were about to release Volume Ten. Oh, that was a while ago. Yes. So uh, yeah, I think it was pre-pandemic, Deborah. <laughs> that's how. It that's how we. That's how we judge time now. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So we have now five volumes. Half of the the library. It's a ten volume set, uh, a, a anthology of of sources, all translated into English. And ten of the ten, five have been published. So one of them includes, in fact, the uh, the earliest volume, volume one, which covers the biblical period, um, and that has fascinating material in it too. But m- most of the other ones um, are from the modern period, starting in 1750 um, uh, up through 2005, um, with a, a gap around uh, the turn of the century between 1880 and 1918. And it's Almost basically, the 20th century. you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's called the Posen Library, but it, it is essentially um, a, almost like a set of encyclopedias, a complete it, history. I, Tom, I, I call it more a, um, an anthology. Okay, Because All it's right. original sources. 
the so that's why I sort of kept emphasizing you, you get to hear the actual voices, as it were, of what people wrote. Um, uh, and so it's it's a, more of an anthology. Um, um, that, not, that's a, yeah. a much better way to put it, Deborah. Thank you for that for that correction. But I was trying to give the impression that it was a number of volumes, a, a collection yeah. of uh, mm-hmm. of things. It 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 wasn't just simply uh, another book about World War Two or. A book right. about uh, Jewish history. Right, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, it's it's multi-volume, and on the website there are well over three thousand um, selections, uh, entries that that have you know uh, of these different sources. Uh, so it's, it it covers far more than just um, World War Two. Yes, or the Holocaust. Uh- now, is this an ongoing? You said it, it it runs up through two thousand five. Is it is it an ongoing? Will there be more uh, pieces added uh, to beyond two thousand five, or is most well, of the work now still filling in? In between, it's filling in. Yeah, it's filling in because we have commitments. You know, volumes two, three, four, and five. We have to. <laughs> have to get those out, right? Um, and they cover, you know, the the uh, medieval period, and early modern, and you know, th- those are really interesting periods too. Um, very, you know, very rich uh, area. Two volume two deals with uh, what is known as the rabbinic era, um, and you know, you, you can't have Jewish culture and civilization without the rabbis. <laughs> Is is there a a a race on Earth with longer or as long a history as Jews? Oh gosh, um, I wouldn't call them a race. Uh, well, well, I for I lack say, of a better word, Deborah, forgive okay. me. I didn't. Let's use the word people, okay? <laughs> well, or culture. Have a long and culture. Yes, yes. So I think, you know, one of the things that's sort of extraordinary about Jewish culture and Jewish people are the connections that are made. Um, you, you have Greek culture, for example, um, but ancient Greek is very different from modern Greek. Um, and it's, it's not like they're able to talk to each other, whereas um, contemporary Jews can, in essence, sort of talk to the ancient Israelites uh, because their Hebrew and today's Hebrew is pretty close. You know, it, you can sit down and, and read that uh, Bible um, if, you, if you know modern Hebrew. And I think that that's what's truly amazing is this ongoing conversation that Jews keep having with those who came before uh, them. Uh, and it's sort of built into the culture, the the, the discussion, the argumentation. Uh, you know, you have in in uh, Talmud debates, and it, it, even though they'll say, "Well, we go with the majority rule," um, they give you the minority voice. And uh, later on, it, it may happen that 
some Jews would come along and say, you know, I think the minority was right. <laughs> and, and things start to change. So that's what's really extraordinary, is that Jews keep on engaging with um, what's there in the past, arguing, reinterpreting, uh, claiming it for themselves in, in different ways. That's what's really unusual. Now, as we mentioned uh, earlier, Deborah, tomorrow is Holocaust Remembrance Day, January 27th, uh, 2022. And I, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, are there uh, special recognitions and things that happen in the U.S. and, and in Europe sure. to commemorate the day? Oh, yes. There, so definitely there are special moments. Um, uh, usually there are... Um, uh, convenings, um, uh, memorial uh, services. Uh, there are various uh, monuments uh, that have been built uh, to help remember, uh, to remind people, and uh, often uh, there are formal gatherings there. Uh, I'm sure you will find in, in the news tomorrow reports of these in, in Europe. Uh, as well as there, there will be uh, here in the states also. Yes. Um. These usually, in fact, um, in the states, it, it, it's uh, it, it has in the past been held in the Capitol Rotunda, um, and I, I'm not sure if it will happen again tomorrow. But yes, I I don't know why, but I just I imagined that. Uh, that a focal point might be in New York. Ah, well, you know, there is a um, Museum of Jewish Heritage um, in New York City down in lower Manhattan. It um, actually overlooks where the Statue of Liberty is, and there certainly will be um, a, a gathering there as well. Uh, but because of the U.S. Holocaust Museum um, in D.C., the United States has often um, done its its formal uh, political um, acknowledgement of the day in the Capitol Rotunda. One of the functions of um, the the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization has got to be um, a a resource for parents and teachers who want to. Uh, teach young people about things mm -hmm. that they hear about but maybe don't learn very much about other than looking to resources like the the Posen Library. Um, is is that the, the best place to start for parents and, and teachers who maybe would like to see their children learn more about Jewish culture and civilization but, but also uh, in in view of Holocaust Remembrance Day, about the Holocaust itself, and how do we how do we teach such um, a, a, a subject that that has built into it such horror? So that's a great question, Tom. And one of the things that we've done at the Posen Library, Jewish Culture and Civilization, is we've created some short teaching clips. Um, they're three to five minute videos, also for free. Um, and we have one, for example, 
um, on resistance during the Holocaust. And I think that's a, a really nice place to start. It's, um, it's a, a, a done by Professor Sam Kassau, uh, who is the co-editor of Volume 9. And he speaks there about different modes of resistance to um, oppression. Um, one, of course, is that of, of fighting back uh, physically. But there's also um, the writing of, of poetry as a form of resistance culture and um, religious, a spiritual uh, culture that he describes. Um, it, if we have time, my, one of my most uh, powerful um, uh, accounts is the piece of poetry because it's a um, poem that was written by a, a Polish-Jewish woman who had been hiding um, on the Aryan side, as it was called then, and she's betrayed to the Nazis by her uh, landlady. And she writes a poem about the betrayal. She's murdered uh, as a result of the betrayal. And she, she, this poem... She reflects on, so what's the landlady going to get, right? She's going to have some small numbers of clothes that she had. She, she imagines her landlady rifling through her stuff, and she names her landlady. And at the end of the war, um, there are trials. And this woman who betrayed her is put on trial, and the poem is brought as testimony against her. And she's convicted. And I think that is that's something, you know, you can teach to children, right? Um, it's, it's important uh, for them to learn. Yeah. My guest is Deborah Dash Moore. She is the editor-in-chief of the uh, Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She's all, she also teaches history and uh, um, Judaic studies at the University of Michigan. Um, Deborah, will you be participating in in remembrances uh, tomorrow? Yes, but here at the university. Yes, at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Yeah, right. Um, and and are, are those events that that you have have helped to bring about and and uh, uh, host or facilitate in in some way? Actually, not this year, um, although I have in the past, um, but uh, there, you know, COVID really upsets everything, and I think that yeah. this, everything is going to be, um, you know, available remotely. Um, in the past, we used to gather physically and um, read the names of um, uh, people who, who were murdered and uh, all the students, you know, and, and uh, faculty and, and staff, we, we would all take turns reading, reading names. Um, it, would, it would go on, obviously, for many, many hours. I, yeah, I was going to ask about that. You know, yeah. I, that's that's fairly common in remembrances. I know um, I, mm -hmm. I have some some acquaintances who participate regularly in remembrances of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which in Michigan we know mm -hmm. a lot about. Um, but 
it, it's a lot different when you have a, a group of um, uh, surviving children or, or something reading names of people um, from a shipwreck. And and when you look at, at the victims of, of World War II, and especially the the death camps, estimated at, at 6 million, and I'm sure there are lots of numbers to go around but how do you how do you divide up and tackle a list of that magnitude is it done in in uh, different uh in different different sections in different cities i mean how, how do you how do you yes, do that yes. without going on for a week right right no it, it is divided up and you know of course um uh, the the power of reading names, as as you're well aware, is um, to to recall the individuality of each each of one was a person, right? And um and and that's why one does that. But yes, uh, the the actual number of of you know which cluster of of names one chooses is is uh, divided up. Well, Deborah, it, it's a pleasure to talk with you again, and it's uh, and, and I feel each time as as though you are so knowledgeable. I feel like we're just scratching the surface of the things that we that we could get into and talk about. But I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me and the listeners, uh, and and to um, and and to remind us about this event uh, tomorrow. The um, Holocaust Remembrance Day, January 27th. Um, Deborah, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can go to, to dig down a little deeper and find out more. Um, what is the website for the Posen Library? Sure. So the website is called Posen Library. That's P-O-S-E-N Library, one word, dot com. And go there, register for free, and then, you know, go and type in the word Holocaust, <laughs> and you'll see what, what pops up. You'll have a, a lot of different choices. Um, it, it's a great way to, uh, uh, to learn about Jewish culture and civilization as a way of responding and memorializing all those who were murdered during the Holocaust. Deborah, do you have a, a website where people might learn more about you and your work, past, present, and future? I do. It's at the University of Michigan, and probably the easiest way to find it is to type in my name as a single um, word, Deborah Moore. Um, uh, it's because it's an it's an LSA. Um, you know, University of Michigan site. Um. Gotcha. Well, Deborah, thanks, and uh, um, keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. It was really great to talk, Tom. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Deborah Dashmore is the editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. She's also a professor of history and professor of Judaic studies at the University of Michigan. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music>
This is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. It's a visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quick Blood Technology. My Community College. It's pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. In the past few years, a type of meeting place has grown up throughout the country which is called a coffee house. There are many uninitiated people who have never been into a coffee house, I being one of them. Uh, We're seated now at a table, across from which is a man uh, who seems rather depressed. Uh, uh, sir, uh, you, you are depressed. Uh, uh, would it be getting too personal to ask you why? I'm not pretty. You are depressed because you feel you're not attractive. I'm not attractive. You're not good-looking. No, I'm not. Well, what would you say, sir? That's why I'm I... mainly depressed. Well, may I, may, I, may I say something to you, sir? Yes. You are a very attractive person. You're as attractive as nine out of 15 people I know. You're very kind. But you are. You're not you're an unattractive very, person. You're very sweet. But I, I know the, the truth, and I face it every morning. You're a good-looking man, sir. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, I, I, Listen, I beg your pardon. Uh, we'll, we'll go over to one of the other tables now okay. and see if we can speak. Uh, Goodbye. Thank you very wow. much, sir, uh, madam. Madam, um, there's a gentleman sitting here wearing a pair of Levi's, a nicely laundered T-shirt, uh, looking very much like an actor. Uh, I might describe him as looking like a cross between uh, Marlon Brando and Joanne Woodward. <laughs> I, I want to explain that. You do have blonde hair. May we sit and talk with you, sir? Uh, if you are so uh, in your mind, too. <laughs> yes. Was I right, sir? Was I right? Are you an actor? Yes, I uh, happen to be a uh, lesbian. <laughs> Think, sir. I think you. Can I check you on that? I think it's. Uh, you mean thespian? Well, uh, is that what? Thespian. Thespian, actually. Thespian. Yes, yes. I'll never get that wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> sir, who is your. Who do you consider the greatest actor we have in America today? The greatest actor in America is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> She's well, she's a, she's a great actress. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean an actor, actress. I mean, she knows what she's doing up there, you know? Well, who else do you like? Who would you pattern yourself after? I would pattern myself after... I love that picture, The Fugitive Kind. I loved it very much. Very much. <laughs> so... So you're trying to... I tried to uh, be like Brando with my T-shirt and just look uh, very much like Joanne Woodward, who I love very much. I love her. Well, you know, usually when people... I also look a little like the producer. I love him, too. <laughs> Martin 
Marty Giroux. Is that again? Mar- Marty Giroux. He produced that picture. You'll notice my shoes are exactly like his. <laughs> I love that picture yeah. that much well, sir, that I-, I became everything in it. <laughs> I see. Sir, I think I made a mistake. You're not an actor. No, actually. I'm not an actor, well, I'm but, I'm, but I love to hang out here. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure speaking. Well, it was a pleasure almost to be an actor. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I've got to wend my way through the crowd. Oh, uh, good luck on your wending. <laughs> And goodbye. And if I can do anything for you, you just call upon me, sir. Can I talk to you now? <laughs> no. No. Okay. okay. I understand. You have to go to other people yes. on the record. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Right. I watched you before in the coffee house. All right, ladies. Goodbye. So long. I hope I'm an actor. <laughs> uh, We're going to a corner of the coffee house now. Uh, on the walls surrounding this table are many, many paintings. There's a gentleman sitting here with a palette palette knife, some brushes, some oils, and I imagine that he is the gentleman who painted these paintings. Am I right, sir? That is correct in your assumption. <laughs> and the painting... Uh, you are totally correct. Uh, the painting... And impeccably dressed, if I may say so. Thank you. Thank you very much. A lovely tie. Thank you. Gradually blending into the color of your suit. You are always interested in color and design. Color is my life. I am color. Your name is... Uh, what is your name, sir? Corinne Corfu. <laughs> Corinne Corfu. Uh, you are yes. Greek. I hope I am Greek. I would like to be Greek very much. Well, that is a Greek name, and you have a Greek accent. Yes. Well, then perhaps I am. (laughs) Well, don't you know your... Don't you know your derivation? No, I do not know uh, my derivation. Gypsies stole me as a child. (laughs) A band of gypsies. And you were brought up where? I was brought up in the Persian Gulf, right here in Miami. It's the Persian Gulf. No, it's a gypsy tea house. The rest is called the Persian Gulf. I would like to talk to you about your paintings. Yes, you certainly may. It's my life. Color and art. I love art. They are very unusual. I noticed that... God bless you for your perceptions. (laughs) I noticed one... You also... you sculpt, too, I noticed. Main, some... uh, sculpting and painting, all the arts. Uh, there is a, a metallic sculpture there that is very interesting. Yes, metal, metallic. What do you call that? It's just a series of wires uh, in a grid-like effect. What oh, do you mean you... above the door? Yes, what do you call yes, that? Yes, that's called the air conditioning. <laughs> yes, no, I... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. I did not uh, make that. No, the feathers, the feathers company made, but it's very beautiful. Yes. Your paintings are very abstract, I noticed. Yes, but they don't blow air out. Like <laughs> the, the, the machines. No. May I ask you about some of the paintings? Yes, instance, they certainly may. That painting there that is entitled The Gull on a Hot Rock. Yes. Now, I don't see anything on that but a bunch of little specks. Yes, well, I saw the gull on a hot rock from over five miles away. Uh, oh, I see. I was see. standing on a cliff. That's why I painted in the perspective, the three little dots. Now, uh, getting closer, sir, I'm, uh, may I examine a little more closer? Certainly, not too close. Yes. yes. Now, that is not paint those dots. They look like, that's, those are flies. Yes, sir. they are. They're flies. But you didn't paint that. Those are real flies. No, I took them, uh, caught them in my hand until the air was out of their bodies and they died. <laughs> and then I... Uh, you pasted them onto put the little dots of blue and put them on the dots, and, and they represent the gold on the rocks. I had to kill them. If I had not killed them, if they were not dead and glued to my picture, then I have no picture. To fly away, I got nothing, Charlie. I see. I'm in the dark. Well, I excuse you. What are you going to buy? Well, sir, may I ask you about this particular abstract? Yes, they're Is mainly it? impressionistic, post-impressionistic, yes. pre-impressionistic, and impressionistic. Yes, this one is more of a. An academician type of painting. No, it's not. Well, for instance, it's very graphic. It's very graphic. Yes, it's, it's it, very graphic. The, it's very graphic. The, 
It's a draftsman-like quality. The spaghetti looks like spaghetti. The limp salad looks like limp salad. And the garlic oh, bread oh, looks oh, like garlic bread. Oh, oh, no. That's not a picture. That's my supper. <laughs> I, I, it happens to be resting on a frame, and am I eating Oh, that's my dinner. I eat that. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. sir. It looks... Do you like... Wait a minute. Do you really like it? Well, it is. Do you think it looks like the a... The composition a is rather... Of, uh, yes, I thought it was thickly painted. I tell you what. <laughs> if you really like it, I can lacquer it up and give it to you for 40 hours. No, I'm afraid, I'm no. afraid I wouldn't want to take your, deprive right. you of your supper, sir. How about just a coffee and cake? <laughs> Maybe not for $20. No, sir. I'm... Give me a dollar and a half for the coffee. <laughs> sir, I'm really not interested. Give me 40 cents you can have. All right, here's 40 cents, sir. All right. Thank you very here's much. coffee and cake. Nice working with you. Yes, sir. I hope you come in again. I will, sir. God bless your guy. I... I don't want the coffee. No, you want the picture with the flies? No, you just keep Give that. me a dime. <laughs> you can have it. I kill more flies. What the hell is it? <laughs> In a corner of the coffee house is a gentleman sitting with a very, very strange instrument on his lap. Uh, Sir, may we speak with you? Hello. (laughs) Uh, What is your name, sir? May we get your name? Uh, My name is uh, Charlie Grape. Charlie Grape. Yes. Uh, do you perform here at the uh, coffee house? Yes, uh, on occasion I do, and then they uh, they kind of get mad at me, and then I don't. I think I can get permission for you to play for us. I'd oh, like. Can to... you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I would. It's the first time I've ever gotten permission here. Just kind of. We'd certainly like to hear a sample of your music. Certainly. Let me just get tuned up. I'm trying to find an A here. There it is. There it is. Got it first shot out of the box. My A. Now, what are you going to play for us? Uh, 22 men. All right. For the record, 22 men. 22 men. Here we go. Sung by Charlie Grape. Here we are. I get mainly A out of it. I don't get more than A out of it. Twenty-two men fell down and hurt their knees. Twenty-two men fell down and hurt their knees. Twenty-two men fell down, down to the ground. Twenty-two men fell down and hurt their knees. Would you like to hear the release? Do you have one? Yeah. Now, 22 men fell down and hurt their... That's not a release, sir. That's the same as the... Uh, yeah. Bridge. Okay. Okay, how about another t- completely different song and a new tune? Yes, I'd like Okay. Could you make it up on the spot? I certainly can. It's my best part. Making this is it extemporaneous. Up. Ex- yeah, whatever. 22 German soldiers hurt their knees. <laughs> 22 German soldiers... I think sir, you know sir, that no, tune, no, it's, yeah. It's very similar to the other one. Yeah, well, How does it differ? It differs in the fact that the first 22 men were not German soldiers. Well, well is this the enough? The second 22 men are German soldiers. Well, it's the same... Can you play... It's the same that they hurt their knee. That's right. You caught me there. Yeah. Can you sing something completely different? Okay. Completely different. You know, the uh, the Calypso balladeers make up songs right on the spot, topical songs. Yes, they Can do. Can you do that? I'll try to. Okay. Okay. 22 Calypso men. Is that what you meant? No, I meant something topical. Something topical? Yes. I'll try something topical. Let's see what's happening in the world today, here in our great nation. Got it. Big Dick Nixon hurt his knee. 
was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here.